0: There is a cost and the cost is really based on so wind farms and solar power both require petrochemicals. The cost though is the fact that they are not as recyclable as people believe that they are.
1: Welcome to the Gas Compression Podcast. This is the only podcast out there for professionals working in the gas compression industry. Each week, we'll be bringing you interviews and discussions with some of the leaders in the industry to discuss the latest trends and what the future holds. If you're working in the gas compression industry and have always wanted to sit down with the leaders in our field to pick their brain, this show is your chance. This episode is sponsored by Gas Compression Magazine. Published monthly, Gas Compression Magazine provides in-depth coverage of the products, systems, technologies, and news that affect the global gas compression industry available in print and digital delivery, subscribe for free at www.gascompressionmagazine.com. Well hello and welcome back to the Gas Compression Podcast. I'm your host Michael Hanning and I am excited today. Today's a first on the Gas Compression Podcast. We have the first woman in the gas compression industry joining us. Her name is Kathy Norris and she's the Vice President of ESG Innovations and Business Development for Kodiak Gas Services. So Kathy, welcome to the podcast.
0: Well thank you very much for inviting me and I'm very excited to be here.
1: Yeah. So like I said, I've had a couple, I did a skilled trade couple of episodes and and had a few different ladies on for that, but I have not had anybody from our industry. And so this is going to be great. So before we get to what you're doing and what your role is at Kodiak in the ESG world, I'd love to just kind of get your background on how you got started, how you got into the gas compression industry. I went the
0: long way around. (laughs) I actually started out my career on switchgear, electric transfer switches and switchgear. And got to know the people over at Mustang Cat, the Caterpillar dealership here in Houston. And from there, they said, Kathy, come on over to the yellow side. And I said, absolutely. So I started off on doing some inside sales for offshore and then moved around into electric power generation, rental, marine, fracking, basically everything you could imagine except for gas compression. I was very fortunate to have become the uh, first woman to ever have won the master's program with Caterpillar, which was a huge honor. And I was also a rental hero for Caterpillar and participated in their dealer advisory team.
1: Tell me about that program that you were the first one. You said it was the first one to master it.
0: So a master's program was something that Caterpillar put on for product support people that went out and sold products to support their equipment whether it was service, parks, et cetera. And they had a whole year long program where you had to pass tests, look at how much you could sell, what your percentage of sales was. And I was the first woman to ever win it. Funny part of that story is my the ring that they hand out is like a class ring. And mine was a men's class ring.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I guess guess someone's got to break that mold and you did it. I guess by now they probably they've developed ones that's uh, for a women's hand.
0: Yes, it's okay. Fortunately, there's been a lot of great women that have come into the industry, and I'm very fortunate to be friends with many of them.
1: That is awesome. That's really cool to hear, Kathy. Okay, so uh, after breaking some barriers at Caterpillar, what was the next move?
0: Well, I had my eye on gas compression. I had met several end users and wanted to be able to kind of learn that next step. For me, it's always been about the challenge and learning. Mm And at that point, I had an opportunity to go work for Wakshaw Pierce as kind of a business development person with Walkshaw and Walkshaw Pierce. They were doing kind of a promotion between the two, and it gave me the opportunity to learn another type of engine. Because when I went to CAT, they did have rich burn, but Walkshaw was mainly known for having, you know, that's their base engine line. Mm-hmm. And Caterpillar was transitioning to a lean burn cleaner burn engine. So I went over there to kind of learn that side of the business. And from there, I was very fortunate to be offered a job working for a company called SEC. It's a manufacturing company of gas compression equipment and production equipment, and they are owned by Energy Transfer. And when they asked me, I said, well, that's the exact next step I'd like to take. Love to learn the whole package, not just the engine side. And I was extremely fortunate and blessed to be successful, moved my way up from sales into basically at one point being their interim president at SEC. Yes.
1: Now, what did you hire in to do? Did you hire in to do sales?
0: Yes, I hired in to do sales and just continued to move up. And then after I had that opportunity to be interim president, which I enjoyed, but it didn't give me enough face time with other people.
1: hmm uh-huh. Hold on. Let's pause right there because I want the people, and especially women, young women out there listening to this story, you hired in at sales and left as, or, or became interim president. So tell me a little bit about that climb, because I'd like for people to kind of hear and know what that takes. I know it takes a certain personality and a certain drive to want to keep growing and learning, but kind of give me the quick version of going from sale, hiring in at sales and going to interim president.
0: It's interesting because I would say it takes a lot of hard work. Mm -hmm. It takes a lot of understanding the whole business. I spent a lot of my time going from just sales to where if I wanted to really understand what my equipment was doing, where it was at, went all the way back to when I first started working in the industry. I spent a lot of time out in the shop, a lot of time out in the field, understanding what was being done, why it was being done so I could actually help to make everything better. Mm-hmm. So as we continued down that road, I was very fortunate to have a mentor in the president then who was uh, David Stone. He's now with uh, Durango Midstream and he helped to basically help me grow. And when he left to go start Durango, he recommended myself to Energy Transfer to be the interim president. It was to me something that allowed me to continue to grow and learn. As I told you earlier, my whole focus has always been, what can I learn next? What can I do next? How can not just support myself or my family, but others? Mm-hmm. And that's what drives me.
1: You know, a common theme that I hear is something you're saying that I had a guy on uh, from Williams up in Wyoming. And he said, the what, what he figured out was that he just never said no. If a <laughs> boss or someone said. Hey, we got this little project we're going to do. It's, it's 30 miles over here. And he'd raise his hand and say, I'll do it. And he figured mm-hmm. out that that's the way you learn every aspect of the business is if an opportunity, no matter if it sounds fun or it doesn't, but it's an opportunity to, to learn something, you raise your hand and volunteer and you go learn that thing, whatever it is. And then from there, and then all of a sudden everyone in your organization starts to understand, Hey, Kathy, she'll, she'll learn it. She'll, she'll do it. She'll figure it out. And you kind of get that reputation. Does that ring true?
0: I would absolutely agree with that statement.
1: All right. That's good to know for for everyone out there, just starting out in the industry, whatever you're doing, operations, mechanicing, sales, whatever, just know that if you want to move up, you've got to learn every aspect and part of this business. So get out there and volunteer for something. So, Mm -hmm. Okay. So your interim president at SEC, what happened next?
0: Well, at the same time, one of the largest customers that we had, Kodiak Gas, who I'd known the people that run Kodiak Gas for probably 15, 20 years. And that was even before they ran Kodiak Gas, they were part of CDM, which was another gas Mm -hmm. company that did contract compression. And I'd been asked several times to go to work for them, and they came up with a job that extremely fascinated me. It was the opportunity to go in and help them as they were looking to go forward and grow to be a possible public company in the future. And then they were already kind of starting on this environmental ESG, sustainability governance, and they needed somebody to kind of spearhead that. And who understood looking at equipment and how it could possibly help our equipment to meet the future needs of our customers. hmm And again, to me, it was a fascinating opportunity. I loved these guys and I loved how they treated their family. And that's what the Kodiak company is like. It's like a huge family. And our family wants to not just take care of each other, but our customers and the future. And to us, the future is starting to look at these ESG innovations and how can we make our equipment a cleaner, viable piece of equipment that can continue to move gas and provide electricity and power to the world.
1: So that was about three and a half years ago. How long have you been at Kodiak?
0: It's been about three and a half years. I'm heading towards my fourth year. And every month, I'd say it changes. We put out our first sustainability report last year. But during all of this time, we've also took some equipment and have made it what we call our EcoView system, and it actually can track your CO2 and NOx, and and we can actually even start tracking kind of methane. We can see the methane, but we haven't been able to, and we're working on that future of being able to actually track the methane coming from our equipment so that it helps to stop any leakage at all.
1: This is the first time I've heard of something like this. Are you guys the first company to start doing something like that?
0: To this extent, yes. You know, we've done some things that other people have done where we handle the blow downs and put it back into the system or the sales line. But through that mitigation system, you're cutting down how many times you're releasing the atmosphere. But this is actually a system that we've started that helps our customers. And then through AI also helps us to even mitigate any downtime because we can start tracking any issues when any piece of packing or equipment is emitting additional methane or CO2, and the future will be to where we can actually tell you how much methane is being released. We are really working towards doing different items within our industry. We have two or three other items that are in test cells right now that I really can't share, but again, our goal is to continue to try to be the best in industry when it comes to helping our customers lower their emissions.
1: So yeah, let's talk about that. We've had several people on that have been talking about the importance of emissions and lowering them both on many different levels. I mean, environmentally and cost and and everything. And so tell me about the Sunshine Act that is becoming something that people in the gas compression industry need to be paying attention to.
0: Well, it's just really going to depend on how strong the Sunshine Act for the SE comes on how much they want to dive into it from an investor standpoint. It would require a lot more reporting, which could become a problem. But I think the larger problem is is that not everyone understands what emissions do what within our world. So we have people making these decisions on what is really a greenhouse gas and what is it. You know, Methane's a greenhouse gas. I'm not telling you the others aren't, but what are the levels in? are you, they actually going to be able to make those decisions based on the correct levels? I think until we have everybody on the same scorecard, it's difficult. So if they, depending on how they pass the Sunshine Act and what they pass, it could make it a little bit more difficult for our industry from a recording standpoint, and then from allowing investors to come in and invest in us so that we can continue making these changes and grow.
1: Yeah, because some of the things you said, you've been talking about the Sunshine Act is that this may affect how they get listed on the exchanges. Is that right?
0: It could be. It could be how, if they are considered a good stock or not, how transparent they are, how it's one of those items that right now, I think a lot of people have provided their thoughts back to the SEC on this. But again, we have people making these decisions that they really need to be a little bit more educated in what they're doing, because if you really got down into it, you need all aspects to even get you to where, we're, where several people are trying to get us to on renewable energy.
1: I want to talk about renewable energy here in a minute, but I haven't heard anybody. I've never thought about this. When you hear the word, what you said was, I think, important that we all kind of need to have a common language. When we say greenhouse gas, what does that actually mean? And so I've never really heard anybody say it like that. And when you say these people who are making the decisions, who are these people? Are these politicians, government agencies?
0: A lot of them are government agencies, politicians. They've never been really trained to understand the environmental side. I can't blame somebody for not knowing what they don't know. I can blame them, though, if they don't become educated. So right. we are required as our industry to help educate them. The United States is a very rich company because we are very energy rich. hmm. There's so many other countries around the world that are struggling because they don't have the natural resources that we have that allow us to have the electricity that we have. And without electricity, we cannot have manufacturing. We cannot have all of the other items that we require and use on a daily basis. Mm -hmm. If you think about it right now, everybody's talking about going with electric vehicles. Okay, so that's about one point something billion vehicles just for one set of all that. Let's say we're at about 8 trillion in electric lithium batteries. Okay, currently we only recycle 5% of the current lithium batteries that are being utilized, like in your cell phone or anywhere else.
1: Those batteries just end in- up in a landfill?
0: Mm-hmm. So who owns lithium right now? China. China owns the polysilicon, which is, goes into our solar panels. They are the main supplier, I would say. We have the ability, I believe it is in Nevada to actually lithium, but look at the current problems that we're having, I would say, our supply chains. I mean, Mm -hmm. double because of what's happening in Ukraine. Mm -hmm. The concern is everyone wants to keep their current way of life, but no one is looking at what all is required to do it.
1: So let's talk about continuing down that renewable path. One more thing about the Sunshine Act, are you going and speaking to Congress or either the U.S. or the Texas Senate or anything?
0: I personally am not. I have been fortunate to provide some of my comments to some people that are, but we have some very intelligent people that are working with them to provide information and try to actually train people on what they're looking at.
1: Cool. And if people want to know more about that, they just need to Google Sunshine Act. If you Google Sunshine Act, there's lots of different things that come up, I found. So what's the best way to kind of stay up to date um, with what's going on?
0: There's actually, and you should be able to listen to it online, but if you Google SEC Sunshine Act, oh, okay, it should pull it up. And I believe it's at 10 a.m. Eastern time. The 21st is when they are going to be having their discussion.
1: Yeah. Okay. Yes. Let's kind of switch over to renewables because that's something that people, especially outside our industry, they say, yeah, that's great. We've got wind turbines going up and we've got solar farms. And just what you said earlier, everybody wants a certain way of life, but nobody wants to... They may not know or want to count the cost of what that would be like. So you had posted something a, a little while back on LinkedIn that someone else had shared about the realities of what we're calling renewable energy and the waste that it creates. So can you talk a little bit about that, about solar and wind? And it is beneficial, sure, but it's there's also a cost to it.
0: There is a cost and the cost is really based on, so wind farms and solar power both require petrochemicals. The cost though, is the fact that they are not as recyclable as people believe that they are. We have 38, I'm trying to remember exactly how many, 38,000 windmills just in Texas alone that they only last 20 years. So when they're done, we currently cannot recycle them. We have to bury them and they are not.
1: Hold on, you have to bury them.
0: Yes, you cannot recycle those. I mean, what are those, those towers? Are
1: not- are Can what are the towers constructed of? Steel.
0: Yeah, so none. All of that cannot be recycled. You are actually burying all. They also require about seventy-two gallons of lubrication oil to keep them going in the gearbox. Mm-hmm. They're killing bats, birds. They've gotten better over time and they will continue to get better. But as the U.S. has continued to try to grow renewables, I think it's going to take several more years for us to get to a point to where we're not taking up hundreds of acres just to get 500 megawatts of power. And you can't recycle the solar panels. Those go to a landfill. I think the interesting thing that no one has really looked at is, I think it was back in 2015, we had the clean power plan that was basically to get us to lower our emissions. And the U.S. actually made our number that we had in the plan by 2020. So within five years, we met our clean power plan emissions reduction, which was a decade faster than they thought we would. Mm-hmm. We've been slowly cleaning up our own because a lot of it is just the consumption of coal. Mm -hmm. Where China has continued to be a massive consumer of coal and plans to their plans are not slowing down on that, India is a massive consumer. We've been trying to lower that and offset with natural gas. And we were able to offset with natural gas because of the fracking, which helped us get to the data that we got to for the clean power plant.
1: Wow. So I guess if they're holding some hearings or just next on the well, Sunshine it's, it's
0: not just that. It's all of our states are continuing to look at ways to lower the emissions and flaring. Texas has actually done a very good job of lowering their flaring. New Mexico. And I think as we continue to look at different technologies, we can definitely get to those numbers. If you think about it, a gas compressor can be recycled all the way down to nothing. Yeah, I can continue to utilizing it for years and years and years. There's some that are currently out there that are some of the older models from the 40s. They're still running.
1: Yeah, we still work on them in our shop. Yeah, there are few. I mean, there are few and far between, but we still get those old dinosaurs, that big iron coming in our shop. Yeah, you're you're exactly right. Yeah.
0: So I'm not saying that we don't continue to look for ways to to continue to become cleaner, but I'm saying we need to think about it from a global economics. Think about the fact that, again, there's people that are protesting and they aren't thinking about the fact that they drove there on tires that came from petroleum products, their shoes, their belts, the electricity they have. I was very amused when I was reading an article about, and I wish I could remember who it was. I hate not citing where I got it from, but California, of course, is struggling right now for electricity, and they've struggled on and off for years. Well, one of the people that they get electricity from is actually a coal electric plant, and they just offset it with paying extra money to make it all of a sudden clean when it comes into California. I think that there's a lot of different options that we can continue lowering our emissions as we just continue to work together and plan ahead. Because, again, we got to our clean power plan within five years, and that was mainly replacing it with natural gas. just so the future hold.
1: Well, that is great. You guys out there on LinkedIn and girls have not checked out what Kathy's doing and posting. She's doing a good job of sharing and posting some of this stuff on LinkedIn. So go out there and connect and kind of check out what she's doing there. So. Wow, Kathy, I really enjoyed talking to you today. And I love hearing the rise that you've made through the ranks and through the industry and here at the leading edge of what seems like is going to be, well, we all know is going to be very, very important part of our industry going forward is the ESG environmental, all of these things. So. Really great to have you on. And I would love to reach out and have you back on in a few months or maybe a year, because I know that we'll have, there'll be some more updating and things will have changed both environmentally and sustainable and government things that will have changed. So I'd love to have you back on in the future.
0: I would love to join you. I appreciate your time.
1: Yeah. Thanks, Kathy. We'll talk to you soon. Thank you for listening. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the Gas Compression Podcast. You can see the show notes and all the resources mentioned in today's episode at GasCompressionPodcast.com. Thanks for listening, and be sure to subscribe for updates on future episodes. This episode is sponsored by Gas Compression Magazine. Published monthly, Gas Compression Magazine provides in-depth coverage of the products, systems, technologies, and news that affect the global gas compression industry. Available in print and digital delivery, subscribe for free, at www.gascompressionmagazine.com.